hearts. And part of that is learning how to let go of what God's already told us to let go of. So um, just anticipate that. We're not sure exactly what form it's going to take. Maybe we'll pass those. We don't know yet. But So let me pray, and then we're going to look into God's word this morning. Uh, God, we um, acknowledge in this very place um, that your spirit exists, that you're real, that in, in the very space we're inhabiting, it's third and Lincoln on the second story of a building that's almost 100 years old, um, that your spirit exists and you are present and you are active. And then we also acknowledge that we are present, our spirits are present, and we're inviting you, Holy Spirit, to interact with us at that level and the way we, under, and the way we can understand you. So would you give us ears to hear you, Spirit, would you give us eyes to see you? Would you speak to each one of us in the unique way that you can speak to each one of us and challenge us, stretch us, to become the kind of people that Jesus came to make us and that is full to overflowing with the life of God? And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to stand if you've ever had piano lessons. Stand up. All right. Wow. All right. Uh, I want you to sit down if you quit before a year was up. All right. All right. Um, Wow, this is more than I thought. (laughs) Uh, Okay, let's. How many of you sit down if you do not actively play the piano now? Okay, wow. That. (laughs) All right. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, everybody else can sit down, but I'm going to talk to one person right here. That's Mr. George Holden. All right, go ahead and sit down, everybody else. All right, turn around, George. Uh, George, turn around. How many years did you take piano lessons, first of all? Um, maybe about a quarter of a century. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm assuming you could sit down at a piano now and pretty much play kind of whatever you want. You're assuming a lot. Okay. <laughs> So if I put like a hymnal in front of you, say, can you play this hymn? You could do that. Probably, yeah. If I hummed a tune, you could probably play it back to me within reason. Yes, more than likely. Okay, okay, okay. So you've been playing piano now for how many years probably total? (laughs) (laughs) How about 67? Okay, okay. Very good, very good. Now, thanks, George. Now, how many of you, how many of you have dreamed of playing the piano. You would love to play the piano. I mean, you'd love to be able to sit down in your home or whatever and do what George does. And at Christmas, you want to play Silent Night with those real kind of, you know, in a real cool way. You want to play, you know, whatever song you can play. You just want to be able to relax yourself, impress those around you or whatever. We would all love to be able to sit down and just play. All right? Now, the problem is, with most things in life, a dream alone doesn't get you there, does it? I mean, I, that's why many of us who sat down who aren't playing anymore is because somehow the dream died. Or the dream was no longer worth the cost, right? I mean, when I was a kid, I had four brothers, and all five of us took piano lessons. We had a notebook just like sitting by the piano, and we had to write down every time we practiced, 15 minutes, 30 minutes. And, of course, we'd, oh, you cheated. You didn't practice that long. I mean, nobody, liked, uh, nobody really liked practicing the piano. 
And if you do, it's only because probably you're good enough now that you enjoy it. But in the early stages of piano, most of us didn't enjoy the practice. We still had the dream. I mean, there's times where, you know, you, you dream about sitting down and just all of a sudden playing some incredible piece of music, but doesn't, you know, I, I sit down with our piano and I try to play a hymn. I can only play one hand at a time, by the way. I can't, I can't do two rhythms with two hands. I don't know if my mind wasn't made that way, but so anyway, so my son's starting piano lessons in a few weeks, and so here's like the X9 piano course book one, all right? So anybody who has that dream, you can start right here, all right? You can start with the dream, all right? But again, the problem with dreaming is that sooner or later has to turn into practicing, all right? You have a dream, you have a vision. What would life be like if I could play the piano? Then you have to go to the second step of some kind of intention. Well, I'm going to intend to. Like in your parents' case when you were growing up, they, they made their arrangements with a piano teacher. There was a cost involved. They made plans all right, so you have the dream, you have the intention, then the last piece, which is the most difficult piece at times and the most challenging piece, is practicing. Because you can have the best dreams about playing the piano, the great vision you're going to be in concert hall, you know, whatever. You could have even the intentions. I've got lessons set up, I've got my books, I've got my piano. But if you don't practice, the vision never becomes reality. If you were here last week, we were talking about the same thing when I had Keaton Hendricks show us how to shoot a free throw. You can, you can have this dream and vision of being a great, you know, whatever, basketball player, and you can have the intention of putting in plans in place, but if there's no practice, you never have the dream. Now, here's the question. As we talk about why we come to church and the kind of people we want to become, how do we practice the way of Jesus? And do we really have to? Can't we just show up at church every Sunday do a few things spiritual every once in a while. Doesn't that kind of get us by? Is that, isn't that why we come to church? Or do we actually have to do something? Do we have to practice Jesus? Do we have to practice being like Jesus? Because that kind of sounds like works or some kind of, you know, that's in like legalism. Or is there a possibility that we have this dream of what we could be in life, this life-giving, full-of-life person, and we have a plan or an intention to how to become that person. But like piano and many other things, we get stalled when it comes to the day-to-day practicing. Because to somehow the vision gets lost. And you kind of, all you see is the notebook where you have to write down things. And you'd rather be doing, you'd rather be outside playing with your friends or outside, you know, do, you'd rather be doing that than practicing. But you still have the dream and then sooner or later the dream kind of loses away. What we've been doing here the last weeks, when the, uh, the series we've been doing is called Imagine You Alive, Awake, and Free. Imagine yourself living life where you are fully alive, and I define that as full of the joy that God promises us. You're fully awake, which means you're fully aware of all the spiritual realities around you and how God's speaking to you, and you're responsive, and you're listening, and you're following and fully free, meaning there's nothing in your life, there's no habit, there's no issues that is blocking you from becoming fully who you want to be. There's no secrets, there's no dark stuff. Imagine you that. Imagine, dream about that. For a what would your life be like if that was you? 
Because that's what Jesus came to do. And we said, you know, from Luke chapter four, go to the next slide now. This is, oh no, this is the question we've been asking in terms of helping you focus on this. Imagine what your life would be like with this. What would your life be like if you didn't have to struggle anymore with blank? What's an issue or issues that's keeping you from being alive and awake and free? Jesus came, he say, came, Jesus said he came to make us alive, abundant life, kind of fully satisfied, fully alive. And if we're honest, most of us, all of us fall way short of that. So it's good to start identifying, well, what, what would my life be like if I didn't have to struggle anymore? And some of you may have things like anxiety, fear, regrets, guilt, uh, anger, lust. You may name all kinds of issues. And those issues, which are part of issues in your heart, have, are keeping you, and you know it, you know it, are keeping you from living the kind of life you at least have been told the Bible tells us we can live, and now you're starting to wonder if this is even true or reality, if the dream is even possible. Because all along, you've kind of thought, well, I've had this dream of what life can be like if I'm a Christian, and I thought all I had to do was show up in church every once in a while, and I, now I don't really know if I want it. And then you settle for less. Like, I guess this is the best it's going to be. Now, same question, though. I'm going to ask you to fill it in a different... No, go back, go back, go back. Don't, don't, let's not go to the cartoon yet, all right? A <laughs> little taste of the far side, by the way. Anyway. Now I want you to fill in the blank with a person who is an irritating person to you. All right? So before, I didn't... You know, I don't want you to blame your problems always on people, but what would your life be like if you didn't have to struggle anymore with that person who you have a hard time forgiving, that person who irritates you and you have a hard time living graciously toward, that person who hurts you, that person who is hurting you. All right? And I'm not asking what would it be like if that person was dead. I'm not asking that. Or what would it be like if that person didn't exist anymore or never existed? How, and I'm sure there are people, some of you think, boy, if that person would have never existed in my life, I would feel a whole lot different about life. I'm not asking that. What I'm saying is given the reality of how that person has hurt you or wounded you or irritates you or really frustrates you, what would life be like if you didn't have to struggle with that anymore inside of you? If you could truly, truly and honestly let it go and live toward that person in graciousness and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. What would that be like if you could not have to struggle anymore with that? Now I go to this next cartoon. This ages me a little bit, but the far side used to be my favorite cartoon. This is God creating the world. You probably can't read all of it, but he's got all these ingredients he's adding. He's got different diversity, you know, medium-skinned people, light-skinned people, darker-skinned people. He's got trees. He's got reptiles. And the jar in his hand he's putting on top of it. Can we read that? Jerks. And God's saying, and just to make it a little more interesting, I'll add some jerks into the world. Right? So who's your jerk? You know, when you're driving along and somebody cuts you off, oh, that stupid jerk. Or the person you work with. Or your spouse. You don't say that to them, but sometimes you think, oh, I can't believe they did that again. And remember we talked last week about contempt. Who brings this out in you? Who brings contempt 
out of you? Who, 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 are, who makes that rise up in you? Who is that person or persons or kind of people who do that to you? Who are the people that God dumped into the world? Not that God arranges that for our own pain or anything, but who are the jerks in your life? And what do you do with that? How do you live alive, awake, and free given that that person still is in your life? Now, one example, one way you could do it is, and I was talking to some people about this this week, some non-Christian people I was interacting with, uh, and, I, and they said, well, we just try to avoid those people. Well, but avoiding doesn't, take, doesn't solve the issue because if you are unsuccessful at avoiding them and you run across them, then the fire just rages all over again, right? So you can do your best to avoid them, but that still doesn't, all you're doing is you're kind of putting a little barrier in your heart and blocking that off with, you know, some kind of, you know, lead-based kind of protection that never can get out. So you think. So avoidance is really a form of not forgiveness. So if you thought avoidance is kind of your way out, it's not. Now, here's the passage we've been building on every week. Go to the next one, Luke chapter 4. And we're simply talking about forgiveness this week, all right? We're talking about those kind of issues. But here's the larger frame about Jesus' promise and his mission that he came to make us alive, awake, and free. He says this. This was in the temple in Jerusalem, in, uh, in his hometown of Nazareth. And uh, the last week I've talked about the context of this, but he basically was in the regular routine of the going to the temple, and it was his turn to read. And this is what he read that particular, that particular uh, day in the temple. And this is reading from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. But he's reading this, and then he claims this is, this is he is talking about himself here. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, said Jesus, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. All right? If you have issues of revenge and anger and forgiveness, you're a prisoner to that. And recovery of slight for the blind to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus is to people like us who need freedom, recovery, release, and favor. Not one of us wouldn't want more of that in our lives. This is his mission. And what we said the last two weeks or the next slide is his mission is you. His mission is you and me. You and me are the kind of people who are poor and, or who are oppressed and who are, who are prisoners to something in our lives. He's talking about you and me. He's not talking about those poor people over there who can't get their lives together. Those people over there who seem to be in and out of trouble and in and out of issues, you know, all kinds of issues. He's not talking about them kind of people. He's talking about us kind of people. But his mission for us kind of people is freedom. It's recovery. It's favor. It's release. That's his mission. And what we've said before is, the mission of Exodus is we want to be a church of big-hearted, big-capacity people. Jesus' mission was people. It wasn't institutions, per se. It was people. And he knew if he could gather a handful of people who were alive, awake, and free and let him accomplish that in their lives, just a handful of people is what he started with. They changed the world. So this, is all, this is what he was doing. Now, let's go to the next slide here. This is what he says. This is, all from the, this is all from the gospel of Luke. So we're just kind of f- focusing on that narrative. These are some of the things Jesus said we should be doing and could be doing. And that if we're the kind of people that he says we can be, these are the kind of things we do 
naturally. I mean, George Holden can sit down at the piano and he doesn't really think about what he's doing anymore because it comes so naturally after years and years and years of practice. I try to play a few chords in the piano and my mind gets all twisted up because I have to think about it way too much. But when you become the kind of person through the kind of habits and practice that Jesus talks about, then we become to do those things and those things become natural to you. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Do not judge others. Forgive others. You can become the kind of person who repents nat- quickly and naturally. You, you, make it, you, you hurt somebody, you deal with it, you, you push beyond it. You're the kind of per- heal the sick, you tithe, you don't be afraid, don't worry, give to those in need. These are just a few of the things Jesus said we should do. And isn't the purpose of church to be, is that we learn to become the kind of people who obey the things Jesus said we should obey and we become the kind of people Jesus said we could become? I mean, if that's not the purpose of church, then we should just close the doors and do something else. So can we be the kind of people who can just naturally, as a gifted musician or an athlete or whatever, could just, we, that's who we are. We grow into those kind of things. Now let's just focus it though. Go to the next slide. What about just that? Let's just focus on this today. The love your enemies, do the good to those who hate you. Don't judge others, forgive others. Or who are, the, again, the jerks in your life? Person you work with, family member, husband, wife, son, daughter, mom, dad, former husband, former wife, estranged child, estranged parent, somebody you work with, somebody you worked with. All right? How can we become those kind of people? I would love to become the kind of person where the people who hurt me or have hurt me or will hurt me don't capture my life and I become this kind of person nobody wants us to become. Now, what if we just zeroed in on this one phrase, forgive others? All right, let me read from Luke chapter six. All those, all those passages, all those phrases were from Luke six, but let me just read a, a brief part of Luke chapter six and I'll start with verse, start with verse 37. Jesus says this, do not judge others, you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, it will all be come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. All right? So Jesus says we can forgive others. We can become the kind of people who naturally don't judge others. Now, again, I talked last week. Yes, we exercise discernment. Sin is still sin, but we don't have to look at it in a condescending, judgmental way. So we still are to discern truth and godly behavior and ungodly behavior. We can do that unlike the Pharisees. We can do that without condescending and feeling better about ourselves. But how do we become those kind of people? How do you do that? I mean, one of the things, go to the next passage. Go to the the passage there. No, I'm sorry, go back to the, yes, right here. How do we become the kind of person that forgives naturally? And then later on in the, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke uh, Jesus even said, well, if somebody comes, sins against you seven times in a day, and every time they come back and ask for forgiveness, you, you gotta, yeah, Jesus, Jesus actually said, you must forgive them, even if they keep doing it and doing it and doing it. Now, 
that doesn't mean you live a boundaryless life and if somebody keeps stealing money from you, you just act naive and give them money all over again. It doesn't mean that. It means you don't hold anger and resentment and you don't try to avoid them or to bring pain into their life. Forgiveness doesn't mean you're some naive lay down on the ground and let somebody walk over you. And forgiveness doesn't always mean immediate reconciliation. If a husband has an affair, the wife can forgive him, but that doesn't mean they all of a sudden become... Uh, live together again. Because forgiveness means I'm not going to hold any resentment toward you anymore. I'm not going to hold feelings of vengeance or anger toward you anymore. It doesn't mean immediate reconciliation. It, it, hopefully it will lead to that if, if there's repentance. But he talks about forgiveness and how to become those kind of people. And let me ask you again, think back to the person or persons or kind of people that right now in your life if you saw them, or if you see them, or if you interact with them, something in your heart goes, kind of flames a little bit. And you kind of t- your physical body kind of tightens up a little bit. And it kind of ruins your day if you see them. Or it ruins your day if you actually have to walk by their cubicle at work. Or it really messes up your week if you see them at this certain social setting you didn't think they were going to be at, but they're there. And you've got to figure out, do I avoid them? Do I talk to them and pretend that I want to be nice when I really wish, wish they were dead? All right. How do you... Okay. Now, let's stop for a second. I cannot become a great piano player by just dreaming about it. You and I cannot become life-giving, forgiving kind of people by just thinking about it, right? So how do you practice forgiving? I mean, okay, yes, we have teaching, we read the Bible, we know the Bible tells us to forgive. We can watch the movies of Jesus about his incredible forgiveness. But how do we become forgiving? How do we move it from, I I dream about being a forgiving person. And my guess is most of you would say, I would love to be, I intend to be, I want to be a forgiving person. But then how do I practice that because unless I practice and get my body and my emotions in line with what I know I want to be it's just going to be a dream that starts dying off and you think well I guess this is the best it's going to be and that person's always going to irritate me and you know I don't I don't wish for anymore I don't wish for a spirit of generosity toward them because I've given up so what do you do now let's go to the next passage because here's the thing Jesus said in, in Luke, and again, it goes back to the word practice. Jesus said that we're more blessed, that you will experience the happiness and the fullness of life that he came when you hear the word of God and put it into practice. All right, say that last phrase with me. Put it into practice. One more time. Put it into practice. All right? So the whole book of Luke, Jesus says all these things like, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you. Do good to those who hurt you. Not avoid them. Do good to those who hurt you. Think of the person who's hurt you and what would doing good to them look like? And you're thinking, well, I'd love to do good. You know, I'll just, you know. know. But what would doing good to them look like? And there have been times where I've actually, uh, out of this passage, that there was people, one person very clear, that was hard for me to even like, and God asked me to send them an anonymously a gift card to a restaurant, $25 gift card. 
I sent him White Castle. No, I didn't. <laughs> oh, there you go, White Castle. No, I sent him a nice gift card to a nice restaurant, intentionally right in the envelope. I think I even wrote left hand. I didn't want them to know who it was from, but I, I felt like God was saying, I want you to do good to that person. I thought, God, they don't deserve any good from me. And he's like, I didn't say they deserved it. I'm asking you to give it anyway. And I was like, wow. Okay. And I tell you, when I dropped that letter in the end, when I dropped that gift card in the envelope, sealed it, put it in the mailbox, something in my heart was released. Now, do I, do I see that person and embrace them and hang out with them? No, but I don't, they don't hold a hold over me as much as they used to. All right? So how do we become that? Now, put it into practice. Now, we're going to switch to the next slide here. It's going to seem, seem unrelated, but I'm going to make you a challenge this week, all right? Because I'm going to talk right now about fasting. And you're like, okay, fasting and forgiveness, this doesn't make any sense to me. It will, all right? In the, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus talks about fasting. Right before he read the passage in the temple, he was fasting in the wilderness for 40 days. Do you remember that? He was 40 days without food in his preparation of his ministry. So God was preparing him by fasting. All right? Fasting is the withholding to some degree of food to some degree as, and as a way to kind of give God some space in your life. And, you know, we tend to think, well, fasting, that's kind of like what guys did in caves in the desert and... That's kind of what the really serious religious people do. But in the Gospel of Luke, fasting is talked about, and Jesus even refers to it as if it's something he expects to do. So there's a few things on fasting, right? Jesus fasted, and he expects you to. The pastor where the Pharisees were kind of getting on Jesus because his disciples weren't fasting right then in this certain period of time. And Jesus said, you know what? It's not right for them to fast when I'm here on earth, but when I'm gone, they will fast. There's another place in the Gospels Jesus talks about, and when you fast, do it this way. There was gross abuse of fasting. The Pharisees were fasting to kind of gain points with God and to impress people. They would let people know they were fasting. So yes, there's abuses of fasting. That doesn't discount the fact that Jesus fasted and he expects us to. Then this, from Luke 4 and 5 and some of the places in Luke. When you fast, you experience freedom from I want it now. And I'll, again, we'll tie this to forgiveness in a minute. The devil temptation to Satan was hey if you turn these stones and you can turn these stones into bread right now or you know and I, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world right now and let's think about forgiveness I want God's vengeance on that person right now I want God to let that person know they're wrong right now because if he did that right now I wouldn't have to struggle with this anymore you see how sometimes we're, we're, we're addicted to, I want my justice now. I want what I want now. But Jesus modeling this temptation in the wilderness that Satan said, you can have it all now. You can avoid pain. If, you can have it all right now. All right? So when you fast, you experience freedom from I want it now. And when you fast, you experience, you experience increased awareness of God's voice. Jesus said, when the devil said, turn the stones to bread, he said, you know what? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, I do not need food to sustain myself. I'm sustained by the voice of God. Now here, think about this for a second. What you're really saying to your body is, body, you are not the boss of me. All right? You are not the boss of me. I, I've told people, and I, and I, this is true. If you struggle with sexual lust... Fasting is a good discipline to get into because what you're doing is you're telling your body, 
in a situation where there's not a crisis, when you're fasting intentionally, I'm going to tell my body, I know, whatever you're telling me to do right now, whatever cravings you have, I'm telling you, you body, flesh, emotions, you are not the boss of me. I, because of the spirit of Jesus in me, I will be the master of my soul because Jesus is in me. Body, you don't tell me what to do. Right? That's what fasting is all about. It's not about earning points with God and not, not because you're more spiritual. It's learning to realize I, because I can listen to what Jesus says, and Jesus, what Jesus says to me will overrule my body. I will not let my body dictate what I do. I will not let my emotions dictate what I do. I will not let my physical or sexual cravings dictate what I do. I will let the voice of God dictate what I do. And that's what man cannot live by bread alone, but by every voice, every word that comes to the mouth of God. All right? So let's, so that's fasting. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do this week. And I'm going to, um, would somebody help me and pass these out? I'll just grab you and Dan, I'll grab you if that's okay. I'm going to ask you this week to fast for forgiveness. All right. So you have homework and here's what it's going to look like. You're getting a card. Uh, here's what it's going to have on there. I'm going to ask everybody to make a commitment. And here's the commitment that it says on there. For the sake of forgiving, and I'm not asking you to write a name in there. I'm just, you know, I mean, don't write a name in there because what if that person sees your slip of paper? Oh, you're talking about me. Oh, wow. You know, like don't put your husband or your wife's name in there in big print and then put it on your refrigerator because they might figure something out. All right. For the sake of forgiving blank. And you know who those people are. You know who those blankety people are in your life, right? You know who those jerks are in your life or have been. For the sake of forgiving, I will fast and listen this week in the following ways. Here's what I'm asking, all right? Just this week, we're not going to go crazy, but we're going to be intentional and we're going to practice something, all right? So I'm asking you to pick one day this week, and here's what, where you're going to, and I put to some stretch beyond comfort degree, I will fast in the following day this week. You may fast a meal. You may want to fast three meals. You may, may, you may fast from what you really think you have to have every day. Maybe you eat less. Maybe if you every day you have to have a, uh, you know, hot ham and cheese sandwich from a certain restaurant, maybe you, that day you don't do that and you just go to McDonald's and I don't know, that, that you know, I'm not, not knocking McDonald's, but I am kind of, sort of, all right? But fa- so some of you may say, I, I'll, I'll fast a meal that day. I can skip a meal that day. Or you may skip three meals. Some of you may want to do 24 hours. Some of you may just say, you know, I'm, I'm just going to I'm gonna not do pop that day. I'm not going to do coffee. Something that, something that is a stretch for you, though. I mean, don't say, you know what, I'm not going to do broccoli on Tuesday. And that's not a stretch beyond comfort. Pick something that will be a stretch for you, that will make you uncomfortable, that will make a craving in you kind of shout back at you. All right? Pick a day that you will do something. All right? And then I want to ask you to fast from noise as well to a degree. All right? Jesus was always looking for places of solitude. Solitude and silence are also a habit, a practice. To some stretch beyond comfort degree, I will fast from the following noise this week. Now, I'm not saying all, all cell phone or music or Facebook interaction is noise, but you and I both know it can be because we're just trying to fill time. So maybe, there's, maybe if you're in the habit of playing music in your car every time you turn the car on, maybe leave it off this week. If you're in the habit of just defaulting to TV because you have nothing else to do, maybe think, or there's a certain show you really like to watch and you don't really have to, skip it this week. 
skip it and see how your body kind of fights you back. Oh, I got to see that. You know, I got to see. Or maybe you're just a Facebook addict or a Twitter. I didn't want to find all those. I don't know all those things. Instagram, Twitter, I don't know, whatever. Maybe there's a certain way in which you say, you know, I'm going to cut back on that in a very clear way this week. I'm not saying don't do it at all. Maybe you, maybe you should not do it. I don't know. And then the other one's a cell phone. Maybe, maybe I'm going to cut back on, or I'm going to stop doing, I'm going to, for a certain time of the day, I'm going to turn my phone off and just see how your body, like, oh, I got it. Oh, I got to see who's texting me. No, you don't have to. Now, what's the connection between fasting and forgiveness? All right. When we fast, we're saying no to our bodies so we can say yes to something God may be saying to us. Right? So it's not like if I go out without food for a day, all of a sudden I'm going to become a forgiving, loving person toward this jerk in my life. It's not that. But let's say if I'm fasting lunch on Tuesday and it's time for lunch and my body's kind of like, you know, my stomach's stirring. Use that as just a signal to say, God, what do you want to say to me about this person in my life? What do you want me to do? Tell me what I can do to move myself toward a more generous, forgiving spirit toward them. I'm not saying during lunchtime, drop your knees for 60 minutes and lay on the street and pray. I'm not, just take 60 seconds. And then if you feel the hunger craving 30 minutes later, say, God, what are you saying to me about this jerk in my life? I mean, maybe by then you won't use the word jerk anymore because maybe God's softening your spirit toward them. All right? Or maybe when you're t- get in the car and you're like, I'm going to turn on the radio. Oh, no, I'm not going to do the radio this week. God, maybe during this 10-minute drive to work, is there anything you want to say to me about this person? And everything in you is going to want to fight that because you're like, oh, I, don't, I don't want to do anything different. Even though we don't like being unforgiving people or holding grudges in even small ways, we've learned to kind of spiritualize our grudges and we feel okay with it because it does kind of energize you a little bit, doesn't it? Sometimes anger can be energizing, especially if you are totally in the right and you are unjustly wounded. So I'm not saying deny the wound. I'm not saying deny the pain. I'm saying give God some space to say to you something different so you can become the kind of person you've always wanted to be who can live above revenge. You can live above avoidance and inflicting soft kind of pain on people. You can actually become a forgiving person toward that person. Or that person who you work with, maybe this week you, you actually buy them a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Hey, I just thought about you. I thought you might want some coffee today. And they might look at you like, who are you? Don't say anything else. It's not like a jab. A jab, yeah, I say I forgive you, you know. But maybe God will ask you to do something like that. So here's what I want you to do with this. You'll notice there's a place where you can tear off the bottom, I want you to keep the top part. The bottom, I'm going to ask you to, we're going to, I'm going to ask you to take, there should be, should be pens under your seat. So you can circle one. The bottom should be the same as the top. I mean, I, you know, mark the same. Don't put your name on or anything. I want you to, we're going to pass, pass them in. And if you're not going to do it, pass them in anyway so nobody, nobody says, oh, you're not doing it, why not? Just don't, don't single yourself out, all right? Pass them to the center. Tear off the bottom. Pass them to the center. We're not going to, like, count them or anything. But I think in you letting it go and letting it, like, giving it up, it kind of solidifies maybe your commitment to do it because you're thinking, well, somebody knows. I mean, nobody knows it's you. We're not going to fingerprint the cards or anything. But pick a day and make sure that the top says the same. And then the top of the, the card, put it in your pocket this week, in your purse, on your fridge, in your car, somewhere where it's going to remind you, oh yeah, I said I'd do that this week. 
And the purpose, again, is because Jesus wants to release, set you free, and show you favor so you can become a large-hearted, forgiving, gracious, merciful person toward the people that are hard to be gracious and merciful toward. All right? So pass those toward the center, if you don't mind. And uh, keep the other half for yourself. And um, listen. Everybody understand, I'm not, we're not doing this to kind of earn points or to see what God... We're, we're doing this because you say no to something because you're denying your body its way so your soul and the heart of Jesus in you can start having it its way and then your body will start and your emotions and everything else will start responding in the way that Jesus says you can be. All right? So don't be surprised if God asks you to do something different. Be kind to that person in some measurable way or immeasurable way. Um... All right? Last slide. Stephanie, go to the very last one. The book of Luke, if you Google the word forgive and forgiveness, or not Google, if you do a Bible search, the word forgive or forgiveness or forgiving shows up a ton in Luke, perhaps one of the most in the whole Bible of any book of the Bible. And the, most, the, 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 the phrase I love the most, this is a good lead in for communion, is when Jesus, at the moment of his being tortured in the most severe way. He's been whipped. He's been beaten. He's been thrown, you know, thrown, a crown of thorn on his head. He's been nails in his hands, nails in his feet. He is in the middle of the pain of his hurt. Now me, I could at least consider forgiving somebody three years after the fact when my wounds have all healed, right? That's a little bit easier but God, don't ask me to forgive anybody because they're still hurting me. And this picture actually comes from the movie, the movie, uh, uh, Mel Gibson movie, The Passion. And I remember sitting in the movie theater. It was in the one on uh, College Mall. I was like in the fourth row. I was watching it by myself. And I remember watching the, the, the torture scenes. And then when Jesus said this to the people who were in the midst of, of p- causing him pain, I whispered out loud to myself in the movie theater, pardon my language, how in the hell can he say that right now? And it just struck me like he forgave people in the midst of their pain, in the midst of his pain. And I remember walking away and I got in my car and I, and I actually got emotional. I thought, that's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be able to forgive that way. That's strength. That is not walk over a doormat kind of wimpiness. That is strength. Who wouldn't want to be a woman or a man like that? Right? That's, that's, the, that's the God we worship. That's the king we worship. That's the one who gives us the power and the strength to be able to say that and mean that and live that way toward people in our lives. When Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, you know, when he broke bread, he gave, poured the cup as part of the Passover celebration. This is my body broken for you, given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood poured out for you. Poured out, he said, for the forgiveness of many. All right, not just your and my forgiveness, but who's to say that maybe the forgiveness that God wants to offer person A is the very person that you put in the blank, that maybe God wants to show his forgiveness through you? Maybe you are the one who God sent to them to model God's forgiveness to them. They might be drawn to Jesus. So when you take 
the bread and take the cup. And how we do here at Exodus, we'll sing a few more songs. There'll be people at the aisles. Um, we'll just, and as soon as we start singing, you're just invited to come up. We don't dismiss by rows. We don't check who's up or down. Somebody will offer you bread. You tear off a piece. Uh, offer you the cup. And the way we do it here is just dip it in. Don't try to drink it. And then most people eat it right away. Some people take it back to their seat. Either way is fine. But as you take this in, as you take in the life of Jesus in you, into your body, maybe let that be a prayer for the person or persons that you say, Jesus, as I accept your forgiveness, let me be the bearer of your forgiveness to other people. Maybe have that person in mind and then uh, head on back to the same time over in the side room that says prayer. If you just want people to pray for you, maybe it's just like, I just need prayer that God would soften my heart toward you don't even need to tell us the person's name, but just whatever, or it's a forgiveness issue, or any other issue for that matter. There'll be people over there in the side room during the singing to pray for you. All right? Let me pray, and then we'll take. Jesus, uh, we want to be the kind of people that are, uh, we want to be people who are strong in forgiveness, strong in our generosity of grace and mercy toward others. And we want to be the kind of people like you were that just baffle people with the kind of forgiveness you offer, the strength you offer. So this week, Jesus, we are trusting that you will speak to us, that you will change something in the substance of our heart toward those who hurt us, those who wound us, and those who irritate us. Because we want to be fully alive, awake, and free. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.